Welcome to Cornerstone College Ministries Podcast. I'm Blake Brown, the college pastor at Stillwater Bible Church. You're joining us as we do a three-part study of the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. If you've been with us before, you realize that this short series, uh, it's a lot more laid back. During the summer, we are more discussion-based and relaxed in our lessons. Hope you enjoy as we go through this amazing passage about those who had triumphs of the faith. We saw, we've been looking at the Hall of Faith, what it's oftentimes called. And so, who have we seen in the Hall of Faith? A lot of people. Samson. Samson was in there, right? He's one of the ones that were just like, kind of thrown in there um, and said, come on in. And he's kinda, Samson was just kind of thrown on in there. With, I can't talk about this person and this person and this person, right? We had some interesting people we saw on the Hall of Faith. Um, we saw Samson, we saw Jephthah. What did Jephthah do? A lot, right? He had victory in the name of God. And then he sacrificed his daughter. Um, so there's some strange things that we see there, right, in the Hall of Faith. We're like, why is he in there? But we look at kind of the earlier part before he sacrificed his daughter. And we see that um, he's really had this kind of moment of faith. Like, hey, God will decide who's going to have this land. It's going to be you or it's going to be us. And then he won, right? Um, who else have we seen in the Hall of Faith? Abraham. Abraham, right? There's a long part on that. And how Abraham acted in faith um, and such. I said it even, this is where we get the idea that Abraham, um, this is how we know, Abraham believed that Isaac would be raised from the dead, right? If he were to die, right? So he's like, hey, Abraham, sacrifice your son. He's like, okay, God, right? Even though God had already said, all of these blessings are to come through Isaac, your son. And then God said, sacrifice him. And he's like, I know that God is faithful, right? And therefore, I'll do it. So, why are these people, all these people that we see, so we saw Abraham, we've seen, we saw Moses in a big section there. Um, we saw people of Israel a little bit um, towards, the, towards the end part of it. Um, why are they all included? Because they're in the Bible? Right? Like, well, <laughs> what's the reason? Because they were faithful their entire lives? No, right? But they definitely had these moments of faithfulness, right? And these moments are these triumphs of faith. Is what my little has it as the header of this section. Um, triumphs of faith. <coughs> so, what did the author point out at the end of eleven concerning those who all had these triumphs of faith? And if you want to open up to Hebrews twelve, go ahead. But um, what did the author of Hebrews point out at the end of eleven concerning those who had all these triumphs of faith? Probably just someone. Yeah, one of the one of the one of those people who were dying for God, basically. But they didn't have the easiest life. Yeah, <laughs> they did not have the easiest lives. Is the way to put it, there were suffering too, right? A lot of things happened. These people had these trials. It says, um, it kind of goes on and says, um, by faith they, and this is verse thirty-three of eleven, they conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, skipped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Right, even death didn't stop all of them. Right, they brought back um, and such. And it was like, wow, this is great. Right, they've conquered all these things, triumphs of faith. Then it goes on, and others were tortured not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and prisons. They were stoned, sawn in two. They were tempted, put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Right? And so, just because they were living by faith doesn't mean they had the best life. Right? Um, in fact, they were suffering for Christ. And it says some of them... Um, it says that they were not accepting release. They were tortured. So they might obtain a better resurrection, right? Which comes from where? God. Jesus, right? Third answer. Um, Coming from Christ, right? They had their eyes set on that. Um, Then we have verse 39 and 40. It says, And all these, having an approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. And they're like, what? Why'd they even do it then, right? Look at all they've been through. They didn't even get what they were promised. It says... Because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect, right? All these people died, and they were promised to drive this land, the seed, the blessing, was going to happen. 
Abraham didn't see any of that, really. Right? God showed him the land, but he didn't actually get to be in it, right? And all those things. And even now, Israel doesn't have the full land that was promised to them by God. Um, what did we say last time in verse 40? Uh, when it says, parts have been better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. What was that talking about? Remember? Jesus. That is an answer. Yes. <laughs> Anyone have references in the Bible? Anyone have a reference on verse 40? Hmm. Does that spark anything in your remembrance? Revelation 6.11 is talking about um, this cloud of people, or these people, not necessarily, not a cloud necessarily, but these people who um, are there, if you look at, I'm going to read verse 9 through uh, 11, and it says, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, this, of course this is talking about the, the tribulation, all these things happening. The Lamb broke the fifth seal, saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Right. So that sounds like people at the end of the hall of faith, right, who have died for the word of God. Um, they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Right? So there are still people who are going to die for the word of Christ, right? for the word of God. Um, and to die uh, on behalf right, of God and share in his sufferings, share in Christ's sufferings. And so it, when it has this word perfect at the end of at 40, at the end of chapter 11. Uh, apart from us, they would not be made perfect or not made complete. Right? It also means complete or, or mature. Right? This all kind of has the same idea in this word perfect. And so there are more people who are still going to go through the things that these people Old Testament went through right? to suffer for God. So... We're going to go now from these examples in the Old Testament to the example, Jesus Christ. So let's read um, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, and then we'll get started. So it says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for the examples we see in Scripture that these people weren't perfect um, in Hebrews 11, but they had these triumphs of faith. They trusted in you, and they um, acted in faith because they knew you were a faithful God. And we also know that you are a faithful God. And the things you promise to us, we know that we have. When you promise us that if we place our faith in you, we have eternal life, we know that we have it right then. When you promise us that you'll never leave us or forsake us, we know that you will never do that. Um, and when you promise us all the other things, that when we are faithless, you remain faithful, for you cannot deny yourself, we know that you are true and you are a faithful God. So we thank you for that, that we can trust in that and lean on you in those times of doubt or those times of trouble. Or temptation. I pray this morning that as we're looking through um, the first part of Hebrews 12, uh, that you would just speak through me. It wouldn't be just me up here talking, but that you would speak and everyone would be convicted or encouraged as needed to go and live a life glorifying to you. Pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right. I forgot to do. Hey, cool. Now. So, um, like I said, uh, the last few weeks, what we do during the summer is a little different. Um, we're going to put the Bible up on the screen and we'll look at it. Um, these are like, this is the Bible, of course, um, doing the NASB. And then here's information. So like if I hover over there for it, it puts up like the Greek word here and then the, the meaning of it and then all the fancy other stuff for that. And then this is actually just the Greek text. So I know during the semester, normally we do a little differently. We have like slides and fill in the blanks, all kind of stuff. But we're doing, um, studying through it together during the summer. So one question we have to answer <coughs> as we go through this, it says, therefore, we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Well, what, what, is that witness, what are those witnesses? Right? What do you all think? 
the hall of faith, right? These people that we just saw in Hebrews 11 that lived and had these triumphs of faith. Or is it saying their witness is surrounding us, right? These their witnesses are surrounding us. And that they're, they're um, acting in faith, setting, setting up a precedent for how we should act, right? A cloud of witnesses, right? All of their witnesses, basically, is surrounding us and encouraging us to live in faith, right? We're going to see, is it, is it, which one is that kind of talking about, right? Or maybe both. We're going to see that as we go through this. Um, we'll study that and discuss it. So, um, what do we ask when we see the word, therefore? What is a therefore, therefore, right? Therefore is a summary statement, uh, or, or it's, a, it's a kind of um, bringing all this together, right? Okay, so therefore, so good a cloud of witnesses. We have so good a cloud of witnesses. So therefore, because of all of these things we've just seen, all these people in the hall of faith, all these people who lived by faith and had these um, triumphs of faith in their lives where they knew that God was faithful, that they would do these things, right, in his name, or do these things that he told them to do because he's faithful, Therefore, right, for us, since we, he's talking about us now, right, as believers now, because um, this was written after um, Christ came and died and rose again. Um, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us all, uh, let us lay aside also every encumbrance and the sinner so he entangles us, and let's run with endurance race set before us. Um, honestly, I don't think that Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 should be a separate chapter. Uh, I think that it's actually the pinnacle of the flow of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 goes and it goes through and goes through. talks about how at the very end, how they suffering, all these things happened. Um, and then it goes and says all these people um, had their eyes set on a land or a future that God told them would happen. Right? And they suffered through all these things because God was faithful to, and he told them that this was going to happen. And then eventually it gets to the example of Christ. And later on, it calls him the author and the perfecter of faith, right? The only one who's actually perfect in his faith and his faithfulness to God and following what God had to say. So I think that this is, a, this is kind of the just continuation, right, until uh, verse 4 of Hebrews 11's flow. And of course, when this was written, there were no chapters, there were no verse numbers. It was just written, right? In fact, lots of people think that Hebrews is more of a, um, of a sermon actually written down. And so someone would just like, had the sermon written down basically and that's what this is it is most of the other ones that we see in the testament are called epistles which is just the word for letter basically um so the letters to churches letters to people but this is kind of reads more like a sermon uh, if you actually look at it this is kind of interesting i'm just geeking out right now but um there's times especially in the beginning of hebrews the first few chapters where he quotes the old testament and he quotes like a passage, and it's like, so it says this, which means this, and it says this. He quotes the whole thing, and then goes back, and it's like, this means this, and then this means this, and then this means this. So therefore, this. Right? And it's like that's exactly what we do here, right? We go over the passage, and then we go forth, and we go say, okay, first couple of verses mean this, right? Second couple of verses mean this, and that's what the application we have for us now. And so it reads a lot like a sermon. Um, whenever you go through this, um, but anyways, okay, back to this. Um, so, what do you all think as far as the witnesses? Whether it's the people or it's their witness is surrounding us. It's actually the, the word martyr. Martyr is gotten from witness. Um, that's martuus, martuus, martueo. Um, if you look down here, you can kind of see the Greek and then the English thing. Uh, can you all read that? Martyr. Just say the same spell, martyron. Uh, martyron. And so basically it's the one who testifies in legal matters or a witness, the one who affirms or attests, or a testifier or the witness. So it means witness, basically. Um, but it has the same word as martyr, right? Because they, they had their witness and then they were killed for it. Right? They're, they're testifying about God and they were killed for it, so they're martyrs. Versus the noun, I mean, it could be their witness or it could be the witnesses, right? Personally, I think it's, it could be either, right? Or it could be both. I'm discussing how these people, um, they're, they're witnesses, right, um, surrounding us. Um, and then also they, their witness encourages us to go on. Now, what that would mean is that um, there's some aspect where the Old Testament saints 
or looking down on us, right? Not looking down like <laughs> pathetic, but looking down in the sense of like they're, they have some sort of way, they're watching us in some way, right? So these witnesses are surrounding us that lived and had these triumphs of faith. And then he's like, so therefore, let's live faithfully, right? Fixing our eyes on Christ. Um, but I think a lot of it too is that fact that we have a, a encouragement based on their lives to live faithful lives, right? To live lives of faith. So I think it could be either. It could be both. Um, it could be, could be whichever one. Um, I think a lot of this is talking about at the application for us. And all the application is going to be uh, applying their faithfulness. And not even really their faithfulness, but the faithfulness of Christ in our lives. Okay, so great kind of witnesses surrounding us. Let us lay aside every encumbrance. And the sin so easily entangles us. Um, so what does it mean to have an encumbrance and the sin so easily entangles us? What, do you, what does that mean? Do you think there's things that can hinder our Christian life that aren't sin? What? Right? If you watch um, 12 hours a day, you watch videos about how to fix a car, right? Um, and don't really, don't read your Bible very much because you're going to figure out how to fix your car kind of thing, right? Is that like, that's encumbrance keeping you from doing things that, that the Bible tells us to do, right? There's different things we can do, right? Is it a sin? To, to, to maybe watch certain TV shows um, or certain things like that, well, then, no, they may not be, right, if they're not, like, terrible, right? Um, I'll be fine, too. Right? It's a sin to watch too many VeggieTales. I'm telling you, it can happen, right? If you're just, like, watching VeggieTales all day long doing nothing else, right, not reading your word, not reading the Bible, not um, uh, sharing the gospel, not living in faith, not praying to God very much, you're just doing that, well, that's an encumbrance, Right? That's an encumbrance to your spiritual growth. Uh, so those things that we can have in our lives that are encumbrances, right? Is scrolling on Facebook or Instagram for three hours a day, is it helping you grow? Or is it an encumbrance to your growth? Right? I'm, not one to, I'm not one to come up here and say Facebook is a sin, or because obviously it's not, right? Or it is an encumbrance, because it may not be for you. For me, I know it can be, definitely. I think it's been way too long. Especially those videos on Facebook where you watch a video and then after it's done, the one just pops right back up. It's another one of the similar type. And it's like, I'm just stuck there, right, for like at least an hour, video after video. And so, man, it can be an encumbrance. And so we need to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Right? So lay aside those encumbrances and the sin, right? And that is a singular, look down there, uh, you can barely see it. Um, Singular sin, right? Harmateo. Um, Harmatia is the Greek word. I think the reason why it says, it doesn't say the sins which so easily entangle us is because if everyone in here, if we asked you, which I'm not going to do, um, what is the one sin that seems to always catch you up, right? Seems to always be entangled in, and you're always trying to get away from, or you're always still stuck in. Every one of us would have a certain thing, right, that we struggle with. We would have the sin that we still are trying to trying to overcome, right? And we know that as believers, right, place our faith in Christ, we have eternal life, we're adult with the Holy Spirit, and we can choose to walk in the Spirit and not walk in the flesh. In fact, it says in Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So that sin that always entangles us, we don't have to do it. We don't have to just follow in line of the flesh wants us to do. We can just walk in the Spirit instead. We can choose, consciously, to choose to walk in the Spirit. And then we won't be walking in the flesh. And with that sin. In Christ, we have the power to overcome sin. Right? So lay aside the ever encumbrance, right? Analyze our lives. What are the things that are just encumbering us, right? From growing in Christ. And the sin, which always entangles us, right? Lay aside that too. Understand that that's not going to be beneficial for us. It may feel good right now, but it's not going to be beneficial for us in the long run. And it says, and then let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And I'm like, no, hold on. This is getting really hard, right? First, I got to get rid of encumbrances. And then I got to get rid of the sin, which I flesh like so much. And then I have to run. I can't even walk the race, right? Like, my goodness. Ultimately, the Christian life uh, is oftentimes compared to a running with endurance, right? You walk in the Spirit, right? 
Yeah, it talks about that, abiding in Christ. But we want to run with endurance, the race I said before us. I think the reason why he says um, this imagery here, running with endurance, is if you think about people who were in, anyone, anyone do like track or field whenever you were in, okay, cool. Well, whenever, <laughs> no, but um, when you're in that scenario, right, when you're running, for example, you want your shoes to be as light as possible, right? Because any extra weight is just going to slow you down whenever you're running. And so there's things that can encumber you as you're running. So running this race with endurance, well, you're going to be able to endure a lot longer if your shoes are lighter, right? If you've got clods on, right, like wooden, big old pieces of wood on your feet, then it's going to be a lot harder. You're not going to endure near as long as if you've got lighter shoes on. Um, and then, of course, sin entangles you. It trips us up. You have shoelaces untied. You know, you're going to be messed up. So um, just make sure that we're doing that. And that's why I think he has running with endurance because there's things that are encumbering us from running and things that entangle us from being able to run. Think about the um, parable of the, the sower and the seeds, right? Um, there's, I don't have it memorized right now, but there's different um, types of soil, right? Different soil that's being, the word is being spread out on. And there's like three different types where the, the seed goes and it sprouts and it goes up, right? And one of them is good soil and it sprouts and there's a whole bunch of fruit and it's great. Another one is the hard and rocky soil, right? And this, the word is, is planted and it sprouts up, but then it doesn't have a strong foundation and it falls over, right? That's a believer who doesn't have a strong foundation right, in their Christian walk. And so because there was life there, right? There was life. The uh, seed was um, spread, sown, whatever, and then there was life there, eternal life, right? Um, and there was, uh, that was the hard and rocky soil. Then there was the thorns and the thistles area, right? And so it goes up, and the seed sprouts up, and then the world and the flesh and all that just chokes it out. Right? And so it, we can be choked out and not be fruitful in our Christian life. I like the good soil, who had a whole bunch of fruit. We can be not fruitful in our Christian life if we allow the sin to just overtake us, right? That's how we need to walk by the Spirit. And there's other soil where it was thrown out, and then, like, the seed was just caught up, right? And then there was no life there at all, right? It wasn't a believer. Um, but, anyways, this idea of being so entangled with the sin is something that um, we have to be careful of, right? Making sure we're not just living in sin, because it's going to keep us from these from these heavenly rewards that it was talking about all through Hebrews 11. Yeah. I was wondering if the like every encumbrance, um, like because it, it defines sin as like anything contrary to God's will, um, and then like every encumbrance, I was thinking about about it as like it can even be good things like Christian fellowship or something, but if you're always like just so just like so entrenched with Christian fellowship but not like pursuing your relationship with God like that can be an encumbrance mm -hmm. um, it's not sin to hang out with like friends or whatever it's just yeah. like what are you focused in on so. there was a time when I was in college um, when I was so involved here and involved in BCM and involved in other, other things and I had like a Christian fellowship or Christian event, Bible study, whatever it was, like almost every single night, right? And I was so busy with all this stuff. Um, and then as I, um, I was realizing, hey, um, that my time with God wasn't really happening, right? I was, had so much of this time I was like, with this person, I'm with this person, I'm going out, these people, I'm having a Bible study this night, I'm doing this this night. But then my time with God alone, my personal um, growth wasn't really happening. And ultimately, we had to focus on ourselves, right? Focus, that sounds really, don't take that out of context, right? Focus on our own spiritual growth, right? Focus on Christ in our own personal lives. Um, we can't just replace, well, I'm going to church, right? Or well, I'm going to, to be with other people who are believers, and so I'm good, right? I'm doing fine, right? Ultimately, it's a, it's a personal, personal growth that we see. When we stand before Christ, the judgment of Christ, we're saved already, right? We have eternal life. The moment we believe, it's eternal. We can't lose it. But we stand before Him. We will stand before Christ. And we have to give an account for all the things we've done in the flesh, right? And if we're like, well, I was with all these really spiritual people, so I'm good, right? He's like, I don't care about that. I'm looking at you, right? What did you do in your own personal life? Were you living for me or are you living for yourself? And like you're saying, even these things that are good, right? Christian fellowship, great. If it's getting in the way of your personal relationship with Christ, it's an encumbrance, right? <laughs> And also this word, yeah, I just looked up the Greek, um, and it has a material that is ponderously large, right? Have you ever used that term before? Um, that which hindered them from doing something, right? a weight, a burden, an impediment, 
Um, so, yeah. Cool. Anything else on this before we move to the next verse? So a lot of times when you see the word run, uh, so this is just me shooting from the hip, right? So don't, don't like really quote my This is just my, my thoughts on this. I'm not saying this is biblical truth. Um, a lot of times when I see the word run, run, run with endurance or something like that, it's oftentimes talking about reward, right? Because us as believers, right, the reward that we have, um, is eternal life a reward? No, right? It's a free gift of God in Jesus Christ, right? Uh, for the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, right? So that means that you have a paycheck, right? It's like the wages, right? So you sin, oh, here you go, death, right? And then, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. If something is a gift, is it a reward? Did you work for it? Did you do something to be rewarded for that? No. It's a free gift. But there are rewards that we see in Scripture. In fact, every single book of the New Testament talks about rewards. At least once. Um, and I forgot the question now. Um, oh, running versus walking, right? I think a lot of times it talks about rewards. We're talking about running, right? Running with endurance, right? Paul talks about how I don't um, box as if beating the air, but I like discipline my body and make it my slave so that when I run, I won't be disqualified. Some people think that means that he won't have eternal life. But if you place your faith in Christ, what do you get? Okay, how long is eternal? When do you get it? If you lose it, was it ever eternal? No. Right? So it's not disqualified from having eternal life, or else God would be a liar and saying, you have eternal life. And then like, actually, sorry, you did really bad. Right? Um, also, we know that we are secure in his hand, and that John 10, 27 through 30 says that my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who's greater than all, has given them to me, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Right? So we're secure in Christ. Um, but we want to run with endurance the race set before us, right? We want to make sure that we're living a life um, where we'll be rewarded. We'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. If we don't do well and we weren't faithful as believers, are we going to hear that from God? No. Is God going to lie to us? Well done, good and faithful servant. You're like, I didn't do a single thing for you my entire life, right? No. I used to think that everyone would hear that, right? All believers are here, well done, good and faithful servant, right? But if we don't do well and we weren't faithful... And there's parables about that that Christ talks about where one person does uh, really well. He's like, well done, good little servant. Here, here's your reward. One person does like about half as well. And then they're like, cool, here's your reward, right? And then one of them doesn't do very well at all. He's like, you could have done at least something for me. Like basically come in, but you have no reward. And so we have the walk of the Spirit as our daily thing, right? Daily thing we want to do is to walk with this, walk in the Spirit, abide in Christ. And I think it's talking about just kind of like almost the bare minimum, if that makes sense. But it's not really, I don't know. Ultimately, I don't know. But a lot of times I, I see the, um, the comparison of a lot of times talking about rewards, talking about a, a race or enduring it, talking about walking. It's just like, hey, Right, walk in the spirit, you won't catch others. Right? Is how how you run the race with endurance? Maybe is walking in the spirit. But I don't know. Um, okay, with endurance, right? Um, if you think about it, this, actually has come up before in in Hebrews. Um, he, if you flip back like a page, Hebrews ten thirty six, um, it says, "For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised." Right. We see what was promised. He's promised us reward. He promised us good things, right? If we um, if we do what what the will of God is, right? Um, so we need that endurance there. And talks about how all these examples of people who had the reward based off of living in faith. And then um, interesting, it says this too: endure the race that is set before us. Right? Does that remind you of anything else? Another verse or passage? Anyone here know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? Anyone want to quote it? Do it. Uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Yeah, we quote that all the time, right? I probably say that like almost every week, right? I'm probably getting tired of it. <coughs> it's the word of God, so don't get tired of it. Um, but that's 289, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith, right? For by God's grace, it's just by your faith that you're saved. Not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so no one can boast. If someone's like, I'm good enough to get to heaven, you're like, a liar, right? Um, no, it's not, that, it's not you're good enough, right? It's the work of God, um, so no one can boast. It's a faith in Him, and then we have eternal life. And then it goes on, right, to verse 10. We don't quote this one very often. For we are His workmanship. It means kind of like a poem. We are His poem, His workmanship. Um, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them, right? So that we, and this is a um, subjunctive, so it's we should walk in them, right? Um, so he prepared these works beforehand for believers, for us, for each one of us to walk in. And this race is set before us, right? There are things that God wants us to do. Um, a lot of it we find in Scripture, right? To abide in Christ, to walk in the Spirit, um, to, to love our neighbors, right? To, to love others as Christ loved us, all of these things. There's a race set before us that we need to run. Right? Ultimately, fixing our eyes on Jesus, not on Moses, not on Abraham, not on the church fathers, right? Focusing our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, literally in the Greek, this says looking to Jesus, right? Fixing our eyes on just looking to him as our example. Um, he is the leader, right? The leader of, of our faith. He's the, the, um, the perfecter, the author of it. Um, how did he do this, right? How is he the author of our faith? Well, the Lord said before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, so do we see how this connects back to all of Hebrews whoa, all of Hebrews 11 here? For the joy set before him endured the cross, right? Do we see anyone in Hebrews 11 that was um, doing something for the joy set before them? Yeah, so the answer is yes, <laughs> right? Um, everyone there didn't receive what was promised right then, but they knew that God was faithful and they would get it eventually, and they will get it eventually. Um, and they got some things right then, of course. But um, they were looking forward to what God had promised them, right? Um, and so in fact, in Hebrews 11, 13, it says, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance... And having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, right? And so they saw them like, hey, I know that's what God has promised me. It's going to happen, right? So for the joy set before them, they endured what they were going through right then. Um, so the joy set before Christ, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Now, this despising doesn't mean he was like, Ugh, I'm, I'm being shamed. This is awful. I despise this, right? But he's like, no, there is no shame here, right? For the joy set before me, I know what the outcome of this is. And so I'm not ashamed of this. And look at the outcome was for him, right? And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Cross comes before crown. Right? That's a theme of one of the main themes of Philippians. I was going over a couple semesters ago. Um, is that in the suffering they have in this life will ultimately lead to rewards of the next life if we're suffering for Christ. So, um, why is it important that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God? Who's Hebrews written to? The Hebrews, right? The Jewish people, right? The Jewish nation. It's written to Jewish believers um, who are kind of wanting to go back under the, the Mosaic Law and all these things that were from, from that thing. So. so he's writing to the Jewish people, and um, he endured the cross by the shame and sent on the throne of God. Um, do we as Christians have a uh, any, any priests? We have a lot of them, right? All of us are considered priests, right? In fact, when we have one high priest, who is that? Jesus. Jesus. Now, in the Old Testament, if you all remember, um, what would the priests do? They did a, lot of a lot of things, right? <laughs> you could say they're pretty busy, right? 
They made a lot of sacrifices, a lot of other things, right? They were very busy. In fact, in the temple, there weren't any seats for them, right? They were just going all the time, on their feet, constantly going, constantly going. But Christ, right, set doors up before him, endured the cross, rise in the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? It's finished, right? He's um, paid for all sin of all time and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, it's important, right, especially this culture that they're writing to, that the high priest has, has been seated, right? And it's the high priest forever because he was raised from the dead. Um, okay, now I want to kind of point something out. This is kind of what's called a, a chiastic structure. If you're a poem person, poem person, um, then you know what that means. If not, and you're like me, then I had to like figure out what it meant. Um, basically, let's see. I need to pick this up. Okay. Um, cool. Um, cool. This is not a flock of geese. Um, so we have this idea um, that around us, right, at the beginning, these two verses, around us in heaven, right, um, in heaven, cloud of witnesses. Cloud. We should do cloud here. Um, in heaven, there's a cloud of witnesses. Um, and then we have setting aside the weight and the sin, right? Set aside. Is it I before E? Is it E? Neighbor and way, right? Nope, that's wrong. Yeah. I just did it, yeah. Oh my gosh. It's EI, right? Mm -hmm. I did engineering, not English, for my undergrad. So, weight and Sin, um, wait in the sin, run uh, with endurance, right? Endurance, we can read that, I don't know. Um, run the race set before you, right? Run, race, before you. Um, and then ultimately have this um, here, keeping eyes on Jesus, right? Author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him, right? Um, endured the cross. Whoa. Whoa. What's happening? the cross um, despising the shame right so inside the weight and the sin right kind of this idea of um, getting away from the shame I don't know what's happening I'm sorry for people trying to make notes um, and is seated where on the right hand of God Right. What is happening? I have so much pressure on me. <laughs> and of God in heaven. All right, pressure. Oh, good enough. Cool. So we have the focus of all of this is Christ, right? The author and perfecter of faith. Um, but you could see how all of this relates by each other, right? We have a kind of witnesses surrounding us in heaven. He seals our hand of the throne of God in heaven. Set aside this weight and the sin which always entangles us. He despises the shame, right? Like setting aside that shame, forgetting it. And then um, in order with endurance, right? He endured the cross. Um, with endurance, the race that set before us. He had joy set before him. Um, we ultimately keep our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter and the example of our faith. And that's kind of the structure of what this is. Um, and the focus is the center of the structure, which is the case with most classic structures like this, which is Christ. Does that make sense? Isn't that cool? Yeah, it is cool. Um, so he is our ultimate example, right? Hall of Fame of Faith has nothing on Christ. Christ is the author and the example who is the one we need to look to whenever we're going through um, trials and we're tempted to not live for God. Um, all these things, whenever we're, being, when we're suffering, we look to Christ as our example, who suffered, um, who was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. 
um, and who for the joy set before him endured that suffering. And we have joy set before us. Right? We know that we're going to be with Christ for eternity, for God for, uh, for eternity, which is great. But we'll also have rewards as believers if we live a faithful life. And so we want to live a faithful life and have rewards and be pleasing to God. Um, and our encouragement comes, I think, a lot from verse 3. Look at what verse 3 says. For consider, right, this is the first, this one's in red. Um, so um, red is an imperative, which I have like a filter on for these things, which means it's a, it's a command, right? For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Right? Our Savior suffered on our behalf. Right? And there's hostility against him. When people persecute us for our faith, who are they um, mad about, mad with? God. God, right? Not us. We're believers, following what Christ has said. And they're upset with us. Right? But they're upset with Christ and who he is and probably the conviction they feel from that. So when we're suffering, our example of living in faith, um, our example paid the ultimate price. Right? He died. The wrath of God was placed on him for all sins. And he will reward us for living in faith because he is a faithful God. We can trust in the fact that we have rewards for living faithfully because there's a faithful God. He's a faithful God. Um, so I want to look really quickly at, uh, I'm just going to look this over. Some of y'all were at GES and you remember this. Um, Luke 19. So if you want to flip over there, feel free. Towards the front of your New Testament, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, before John. I can get to Luke 19. Luke is a long book. Okay. <coughs> oh, one more page. So this is the last parable that Jesus gives before the triumphal entry right into Jerusalem. And it's in Luke 19, verse 11. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately, right? His, his followers, disciples, were like, all right, he's going to Jerusalem. He's about to take the rulership of the entire town, of the entire city, and become our king. And, like, usurp Rome, and it'll be great. He was like, here's a parable, right? So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. A nobleman is like... A pretty pretty high up there guy he's like uh, I'm gonna be king so he's going to this other place this higher authority who will make him king of this area and he called his ten of his slaves or servants and gave them ten minas and said to them um, it's about equal to a hundred days wages by the way is a mina um, said to them do business with this until I come back right maybe 30 it takes money about thirty thousand dollars or ish maybe I don't know uh, ten minas and said, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens, or at least he gave it to his servants, and then his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we don't want this man to reign over us, right? So they had this protest that went out from the citizens um, to go and say, we don't want him as king. When he returned, verse 15, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves, to whom he had given the money, be called to him so he might know what business they had done, right? So the citizens were the ones who sent out this delegation saying, we don't want him, right? So he got his kingship, he came back, and the first matter of business is, okay, my servants, right? These slaves. Now, of course, if we're going through this, who is a nobleman? Jesus, right? Um, who are the servants? Us. Believers, right? Us. Who are the citizens? That's a little, not us, right? A little, <laughs> little trickier, right? Uh, a little trickier. I think it's unbelievers. Because uh, of what we're going to see later on. Um, and so he comes and he says, okay, all right, servants, what have you done? I told you to do business until I get back, so what have you done? Um, the first appeared, saying, this is verse 16, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in very little thing. You are to be authority over ten cities. Right. Um, this guy's probably like, whoa. Uh, okay, uh, I guess that's happening, right? Um, the second came, saying, Your mina, Masher, has made five minas. He said to him also, You are to be over five cities. Now, see a difference there, right? He didn't say, Well done, good servant, right? Or, well done, faithful slave. He said, 
you know, we were five cities, right? Everyone was given one mina, right? Everyone was given the same thing, right? Same amount. And then one of them earned 10, one of them earned five. There's a difference there between the reward that they got for doing that. And then he says, um, verse 20, another came to him, Master, here's your mina, which I have kept away in a handkerchief. There's the stuff you blow your nose into, right? Um, it says, For I was afraid of you, verse 21, because you are an exacting man. And take up what you did not lay down and reap where you did not sow. Right? So he was afraid of him. Because he's like, oh no, right? He's a harsh man. Whatever, whatever he sows, right? If he doesn't even sow, he doesn't even invest in it, he still takes it up. Um, whatever he, he uh, picks up, he didn't even maybe put down. I think what's happening here is that he doesn't believe there's going to be any reward or he's going to keep what he earned. He's like, listen, I'm going to get, do all this work. I'm going to get all these things. And then he's just going to come and take it up, right? He reaps what he didn't even sow. He picks up what he didn't even put down. And so what's going to happen? And also, the one who earned 10 minas kept his minas, right? One hundred five. It doesn't say here, but it will say later on. They actually kept the reward, the things that they, that they worked for, right? They had to keep it. And they got more, right? They were over these amount of cities. But he's like, listen, I was afraid of you because you are an exacting or a harsh man, right? You take up where you did not lay down and you reap where you did not sow. He was afraid to do anything. Maybe he'd mess it up and then get in trouble with him. Or maybe he um, would just do all this work and all would be taken away. So verse 22, he said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know? Did you know that I'm an exacting man? taking up what I did not lay down, or reaping what I do not sow, then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest at least. Right? I would at least have some interest on it. You don't want to work? Okay, at least do the bare minimum to get me something back. Right? So he said to the bystanders, verse 24, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. They said to him, Masher, he's ten minas already. I'll tell you, he says that everyone who has, more shall be given, but the one who does not have, even what he does have, shall be taken away. What does that mean? Don't ask me. Right? I don't really know. Um, it seems like he was unfaithful with what he was given, the same opportunity as the guy who had 10 minutes, and he didn't do a single thing with it. Right? He kept it hidden and back in his snot rag. <laughs> um, and it was taken away from him. Uh, and then what happens is... Uh, look at verse 27. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. So some people will say that the third servant wasn't a believer, right? And he's going to hell. Say, well, look, what he had was taken away from him, right? So he's going to hell. What happened to the, the citizens then, right? If that third guy is going to hell, then who's being, like, slaughtered in the presence, right? What does that mean? Is that worse than hell, right? Like, what in the world? Ultimately, he's a servant, and we know that as believers, right, the servants of believers, we have eternal life the moment we believe in him, we have life. And you're never going to lose that, or else it wouldn't be eternal. Uh, you didn't do anything to earn it, you can't do anything to lose it. But then, if you're an unbeliever, right? It's not going to happen, right? Um, that's also talking about the judgment of Christ at the beginning, this parable of this money and him rewarding these people as well. We as believers stand before Christ have to give an account of what we've done. He's like, look, you gave me these abilities, these gifts, talents, abilities. I serve them in this way, and here's what I've done. Right? Um, I think this was said, actually, this is something that was mentioned at the conference. Um, it was the same guy who's going over this or not. Um, but he was like, now, how are we going to know exactly what we've done and what the fruit of that is? I don't know. Probably some supernatural way. Guys, I'm like, okay, now you know exactly what your labor has produced, right? Here's the meanness that you know about. He's like, hey, God, here I've done this. Um, but if we live faithfully, right, we have to give an account for God. Live faithfully, we'll be rewarded. If we're sort of faithful, less reward, right? If we're not faithful at all to serve God, no reward, right? Eternal life. But the reward is there, right? That was a free gift, but we don't have any reward. Uh, and then there's the great white throne judgment, which is when all unbelievers stand before God, and it opens all the books of their works, and then if their name isn't in the book of life, then they're cast in the fire, right? It doesn't matter what works they've done. If they're in the book of life, they're cast in the fire. How do you get in the book of life? What? 
Believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Okay. Um, wow, we do not have any time left, basically. Um, so what are, what are y'all's thoughts real quick on, on Hebrews? Right? So it goes back to that. Talking about to this rewards that we're going to get. Looking for the joy set before us, right? If we, if we run those with endurance. What are y'all's thoughts on Hebrews 12? Hebrews 11 and 12. a danger of course if we, if we were to take that enduring meant you kept your eternal life right or um, salvation was dependent upon this how are we going to do right we're going to be like I can't get there I can't do what Christ has done right like he was literally um, scourged and he was whipped and he was mocked and he was beaten and he died on a cross it's like if he's our example we're going to live up to that right man but if we know that salvation is a free gift and to endure the Christian life is reward, right? Something different. It's a lot more, it's a lot more comfort we have as believers, right? Because we know that we have eternal life and we have it forever. And it's encouraging for us to go forward and live for Christ. And some of these people we looked at in Hebrews 11, we looked at people like Jephthah, who uh, sacrificed his uh, daughter, which was not the best. Huh. Not probably dead. Um, who wasn't the best. And then we looked at, like, Samson. What did Samson do? A lot of great things. A lot of not great things, really, like really bad things. Um, Abraham, even, right? It was, like, the pinnacle. And people were like, oh, Abraham. He had many sons. Right? Many sons had Father Abraham. Um, <laughs> no, but we had that um, example and that, that guy in the Old Testament. And then twice he said that his wife was his sister so that people wouldn't kill him, right? Just not living by faith at all. He was in this land. He's like, hey, just, just hey, tell them you're my sister so that they don't kill me to get to you, right? And then ultimately, both times, God was like, stop, no, don't, don't do that, right? Like, it's okay. Um, but he wasn't really living by faith then, but other times he lived by faith. Right? And no matter if we haven't lived by faith thus far in our Christian life, we still can. Right? We can still set our eyes on Christ, the author of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, starts in the shame, and has been seated with a place of authority, right? The right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much just for the examples that we see in Scripture. Uh, how you. you-